Reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You are dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with, seated, uh, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Sorry, through grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, This morning we're continuing our series on Ephesians. Uh, We're thinking about the supernatural world uh, that we live in. Uh, For you all this morning, it's less of a drip feed and more of a fire hydrant worth of information. So if you don't grab everything, that's okay. Uh, I'm hoping to give you a bit of a supernatural geography 101. Uh, so what does the Bible say about spiritual beings? Uh, maybe supernatural cosmology 101 so that you can understand a bit of the, the makeup of the world. Uh, in a Western world, we often think of what we can touch and, and feel and physically see and interact with. Uh, from a Christian perspective, there is a whole world that uh, we, we don't see uh, that we read about interactions in in the Bible. And so what I'm going to do this morning for us is give us a bit of an overview of that, uh, give you some frameworks to think about that. And so I'm going to start with Psalm 89. Uh, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. We read that and we might think, oh, there's a bunch of holy people in the temple. Let's keep reading and see what else it says. For for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Suddenly there's there's multiple heavenly beings. There's there's an assembly of holy ones. Uh, A God feared in the council of the holy ones, great and awesome above all that are around him. So we have here, the the psalmist paints a picture of us of heavenly realities. There is a assembly or a council of holy ones among whom God without question is the greatest, the the one true holy one. Uh, There's heavenly beings. So we worship the the one true God, but there is heavenly beings, uh, created beings. Uh, One Kings uh, gives us another little window. Uh, Ahab is sick of all the prophets that are telling him that he's going to win the battle because it feels like they're just telling him what he wants to hear. So he goes to Micaiah, who is a prophet that 
tells him the way it is rather than exactly what he wants to hear. And Micaiah says this, I therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord. So he had a vision sitting on his throne uh, with all the host of heaven uh, standing beside him to the right and to the left. And so you see uh, a huge uh, amount of angels uh, standing beside him to the right and the left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab so that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Then one said one thing, another said another thing, until a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. How? The Lord asked him. He replied, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets. And the Lord said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do it. Isn't, isn't that a, an interesting picture? Uh, God surrounded by uh, spiritual beings. Uh, different beings come up with options of how a problem can be solved. Then one particular one comes out and says, well, I'm going to put a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And God says, well, okay, you're the one. Go and do it. It'll be done. And that's exactly what Ahab experienced. So behind that physical setting of political encounter that happened, there is a supernatural understanding between God as he gives this spiritual being permission to go and do what he does. So a question for us to think about, uh, were the other gods really gods? Uh, what about the wooden idols? Uh, what about modern day evil? Yes, they're really gods. People don't go back to a statue, worship it, and uh, do it again unless they see a result. So people have bowed down before a wooden idol that they've carved with their own hand, knowing that that's not the god itself, but the worship of that wooden idol produces a positive result in their life. And so were the idols really other gods? It seems that there were spiritual beings associated with them that empowered this relationship that they had where they sacrificed of themselves in order to get a result that was positive in their life. So, so what about modern day evil? Uh, we would look at what happened in some of the wars uh, in the past and say, yes, that, that was definitely evil. Uh, there, there was evil forces at work uh, among the people. Uh, you would look at what's happening with R Russia today and, and look at the kind of authority uh, that Putin has and, and go, that's not just human. There are spiritual beings that are connected to what's happening there, uh, which gives him the ability to mislead people into believing he's doing what is good. We know uh, the Tower of Babel. People built a tower in order to get up close to God, in order that they may reach God, be with God, uh, maybe bring God down. Uh, you, you've maybe not connected this passage from Deuteronomy with it. Uh, we know the result of Babel, all the nations were, were scattered, all the languages so that people wouldn't go and try and operate in that prideful way. We, we read Deuteronomy 32. Uh, when the Most High uh, apportioned the nations, uh, when he divided humankind, 
He fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers of the gods. The Lord's own portion was his people, Jacob his allotted share. So this is speaking about what happened in Babel. Uh, so not only were the, the people distributed to different regions with different languages, there, there, there was actual spiritual beings in charge of those different uh, regions. Uh, what we see through the Old Testament is God had a people for himself. Jacob, his allotted portion. Israel, his people. But we know that God's big purpose was to bring to unity all people under his leadership. But if there was other gods in other nations, that means that other nations must have been led by not the one true God, that there's not uh, just we're all worshipping the one God, but there was other gods leading nations astray. And you would look at parts of the world and you would say, actually, there's, there is problems in these parts of the world. And one I always think of is Thailand, where there's lots of sex slavery, uh, and that's a key part of that culture, that, that confusion that is there. And you go, well, actually, the, there's a spiritual something, uh, a regional something uh, to do with what is going on there. And, and so when God uh, is eradicating from the land uh, the, and taking his people towards the promised land, uh, he's getting rid of spiritual beings uh, you you might have read of the nephilim in the old testament and going what what are these giant people the these giants that are mixtures of humans and angels uh, we don't fully have the answer to all of these questions but uh there, there was not just a god was taking a people into a, a promised land he was actually getting out of the land that the spiritual beings that had overtaken it and corrupted it prior uh, so today, or, or before we became a Christian, uh, where, where was our place in relation to God? Where do we fit? Ephesians 2.1 says we were dead in our transgressions. That is, in order to be in the presence of a holy God, you need to be holy. Uh, we were imperfect, uh, dead in our transgressions. Uh, what did we follow? Ephesians uh, two. Two says that the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Uh, the spirit is now at work among those who are disobedient. Uh, so we, we followed the way of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and Ephesians 2, 3, the, the craving of the flesh. Uh, so you, you might see them as three arenas of opposition to us following God. Uh, that is, where we can be led by Satan, the, the ruler of the power of the air. Uh, we can be led astray by the world that we live in. Uh, we can be led astray by the, the flesh. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, uh, we, In order that Satan might not outwit us, uh, we are not unaware of his schemes. So, so why do we talk about spiritual things? Because uh, we don't want to be outwitted by the, the one who schemes against us. Uh, whenever you experience opposition to your, your calling or your purpose in life in God, uh, whenever you feel uh, trodden down in terms of your identity as a human being in this world, whenever you feel like you're not significant, it's usually because Satan is working in partnership with the world or our flesh in, in order to make us feel like we, we don't belong, we're insignificant, we have no purpose. So, so when I say the world, what do I talk about? Uh, it's a living system that, that leads people away from God. 
the system of our world, the system of viewing things, the system of thinking, uh, leads people to rely on themselves, build uh, for themselves uh, wealth and identity. Uh, 1 John talks about it this way. It says, All that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride in the riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away, but those who do the will of God last forever. And so 1 John speaks of the temporary nature of the things that we look to and trust in uh, and calls us to be a people that turn away from those things and look to what is eternal and lasting and worthy. So what's the flesh? Uh, Not just the the physical body desiring. uh, It's uh, the desire that we saw in Adam and Eve in the garden to uh, take charge for themselves what is good. Uh, So pursuing the desire to take charge of what is good, pursuing what we think is best with neglect the law and wisdom of God. Uh, God has instructed us. This is, this is how life goes well. If you live this way, uh, often in our own minds, we have our own ideas of what makes life work well. And when we live according to what our own ideas are, that's when we're living according to the flesh, often in partnership with the, the ideas that usually come from the world that we live in. As Satan whispers in our ear, uh, you, you should do that. God doesn't really have what's best for you. So the, the third actor in this scene is, is Satan. Uh, and so, as I said, he's usually partnering with the world that we live in uh, or uh, our, our body, our way of thinking, our view of the world. And he does that uh, to act covertly in order that we think it's our idea in order to act in opposition to God. And so he's, some of the names he, he's given, uh, so he's the adversary of God, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, uh, you can't probably read it. The, the murderer, the deceiver, the devil, the ruler of this world, the enemy, the evil one, the serpent, the father of lies, the tempter, the destroyer, uh, the god of this world, the great dragon, uh, the abeasable, uh, Belial, uh, names given to him in, in his operation in this world. Uh, some say, as you look at Isaiah, that he was a fallen angel who Uh, heard God's plan and as a messenger, a servant of God, decided to go against it and took a whole bunch of angels with him. Uh, We often, in the world that we live in, say, well, does Satan exist? Does the ruler of the kingdom of there actually exist? Uh, It's a question that's been around mostly in our enlightenment sort of period, the age of reason, where we've sort of come against that and gone, well, what we can see and understand is is what is real. Uh, William Ramsey in 1856 said this. He said, One of the most striking proofs of the personal existence of Satan, which our times afford us, is found in the fact that he has so influenced the minds of multitudes in reference to his existence and doing and doings as to make them believe that he does not exist and that the host of demons or evil spirits over whom Satan presides as prince are only the fantasies of the brain, some hallucination of the mind. Could we have a stronger proof of the existence of a mind so mighty as to produce such results? Uh, you may uh, remember a similar quote from Kevin Spacey. The, the greatest trick that the devil ever played was to convince us that, we, that he never existed 
So how does evil affect me and how do I stand against it? We're going to talk about that next week as we look at Ephesians 6. Uh, This week it's more, uh, how do I understand spiritual and physical realities? Uh, How do I make sense of it? And so I'm going to give you a few things that hope hopefully help you to make sense of it. And starting with Paul. Uh, Paul says, I know a man, he's talking about himself. Uh, He says, I know a man in Christ who for 14 years ago was caught up uh, to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things things that no one is permitted to tell. So caught up in the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, uh, caught up in paradise, uh, another description of the third heaven. And so a picture that you may have seen before or may have been uh, used by people is one where we live in the first heaven, the atmosphere, there's the second heaven, the starry space, and there's the third heaven, God's dwelling place. And we all go to this heavenly city uh, and it's all about going to the third heaven. Uh, I, I think a more helpful way of understanding this is uh, the, the first heaven is the kingdom of earth. Uh, the second heaven is the kingdom of the air. The third heaven is the kingdom of heaven, so where God and his angels dwell. Uh, where do spiritual beings exist? The, the kingdom of the air. Uh, where are angels able to go? Heaven. Uh, what happened to Satan and all these angels cast out of heaven? So in the, in the second heaven interacting with earth, where, where do we live in the kingdom of earth? Now, the, there's, the, the physical separation here is just about picturing it in your mind. The, the second heaven interacts with the first heaven. So angels interact with our world. Uh, evil spirits interact, second heaven, with our world. Heaven is, is God's domain. Speaking about this, Solomon, as he's built the temple, says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built? And so when we look at this picture, we, we have that in mind that while God is the God of heaven, heaven doesn't contain him. He's not put in a box of heaven and uninvolved from our world. But spiritual beings are kept out of heaven because they have no right or authority to be there. We look forward to a day of what 2 Peter says, the day of the Lord, so when Jesus returns, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What is it talking about? It's it's not talking uh, about our job in life is this kind of linear, linear trajectory to get from this first heaven place to this third heaven place. It's saying actually that the goal is that heaven... Uh, the old heaven, the old earth will pass away. The old way of being will pass away. And, and suddenly uh, we get this picture of Revelation. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. 
Sorry, I'm having troubles with this one. Uh, God himself will be with them and be their God. So it's not this picture of this linear trajectory of us wanting to go to heaven to this heavenly city. It's actually this picture of God wanting to bring forward uh, a new heaven and a new earth that the dwelling of God will be with humanity. So that's God's purpose. Uh, a lot of people uh, will say funny things like when someone dies, they want to say something nice. They'll say, oh, God needed another angel in this heavenly place that we're going to. He didn't. Angels are created beings. He's, he's got enough to the left and the right. Our purpose when we die is not about us going to this heavenly place and being angels uh, that stand to the left and the right uh, with God. Uh, actually, it's, it's about heaven and earth being combined, us living in the presence of God. What, what does that mean? There's a physical reality in heaven. What does that mean? There's no longer a barrier between the spiritual reality that we look forward to complete intimacy with God. What does that look like? Well, we don't know because we live in a separated reality where we're at some level blind to some of the spiritual realities, but we do know that we will see things with fully open eyes and we will have resurrection bodies when Jesus returns. And, and so when we think of spiritual realities, we need to begin to think about some of these things. There's actually a battle going on in the kingdom of the air uh, to fight against the, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. When we pray, we pray, as it is in heaven, bring it to earth, God. So what is our place? Ephesians 2.5 says that we're made alive uh, even when dead uh, in our transgressions, that we're saved by grace. Ephesians uh, 2.6 says that we are raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. So our current position in Christ is that we're seated in the heavenly realms with him and simultaneously living on earth. Now, now God is not linear in the way that he thinks or time or space, and so he holds things together, but uh, that's also for us to hold together in mind. So, so how, how, how do I become aware of these spiritual realities that there actually is heaven, there's a kingdom of air and the kingdom of earth? Well, as much as we have physical senses, we have spiritual senses uh, that enable us to... In, physically, we can taste, touch, smell, see, feel. Spiritually, as we come alive in God's spirit, we can taste, touch, see, smell, feel. Uh, there's lots of examples in, in Scripture of the way that works out. So how do we grow in understanding of spiritual realities? The only way is by God's Spirit. So 1 Corinthians 2. Uh, These things God has revealed to us uh, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Uh, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, uh, but the Spirit that is from God so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. 
So to grow in faith as a Christian, we're, we're being asked to grow in what we cannot understand with our human minds, but he's given us his spirit that we would grow in faith as a result. So if we're seated in the heavenly realms, where, do, where does Satan get his power? Like, where does he fit? How does he have authority in this uh, heavenly cosmology? Uh, when others delegate it to him as they are misled by lies. That's how Satan gets his power. So think of uh, the Garden of Eden. I'll give you a table here. Uh, hopefully that helps. Uh, God was in charge uh, before creation. There was the angels, the archangels. Uh, I, I, I don't like to go into hierarchies in angels, but there seems to be archangels who are in charge and angels uh, who sat a little bit low. Uh, we see the archangel Michael and, and other angels in the Bible. How that actually works out, we don't need to know. Hebrews looks at it and says people can get obsessed with angels. Well, that's kind of not our job to get obsessed with what angels are up to. Uh, so after creation, the who's in charge question changes. Uh, God puts humans in charge even over archangels, including uh, Satan. So, so Satan at some point uh, we know fell and took a whole bunch of angels with him. He was a powerful angel, decided that God's idea wasn't best, uh, was taken down and was kicked out of heaven. Uh, but at this point, before Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit, he had no authority. What, what did he do? He convinced them that God wasn't going to do what was good for them, was withholding from them. They believed the lie, ate the fruit, gave him authority out of the garden. Suddenly, after the fall, uh, that hierarchy changed. Uh, God was in charge. Satan took this position of power because uh, humans gave their allegiance to him and to other gods, uh, the demons that followed him. And so, but angels still at this place of being servants. Uh, after the crucifixion, so reading from Colossians 2, uh, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them uh, by the cross. Uh, so Satan, who sits under, is a legalist. So when he has legal permission to operate with authority, he uses it. He uses the fact that he's in charge. Uh, what happens on the cross is the power that he holds over us, that is, when we uh, disobey a holy God, uh, we sin. Uh, that, that's what gave him power. He's a, he's a legalist. He uses that power in the world. Suddenly on the cross, he, he no longer had power. And so we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus, no longer bondage, indebted, captive because of the wrong that we had done. And he is powerless unless we succumb to the lies uh, that he speaks across the world. So what, what about other angels? What, what, what are their purpose? Uh, they're heavenly messengers on assignment, healers, liberators, guardians, 
Uh, supernatural beings living in the presence of God uh, can communicate with people, appear with people, eat with people. Satan used to be one, and sometimes people look to them, angels, instead of looking to God. Uh, there's a whole bunch of passages in the Bible. Uh, this is just new. Uh, there's a couple of Old Testament appearances of angels, uh, like the angel that announced the birth of Samson. Uh, they guarded the way to the tree of life in Genesis. Uh, they gave the, the law. Uh, the, their servants sent from God to care for people who will inherit salvation. Uh, they, they warned Joseph. They ministered to Jesus healing after his temptation. So there's a real physical interaction. Uh, they ministered to Jesus in his passion, present at the tomb, rolled back the, the stone. Uh, we see they announced the resurrection. They were present at the ascension. Uh, they celebrate people coming to faith in Jesus. They will be with Jesus at his second coming. Uh, we saw with the apostles that they opened prison doors, that they broke chains uh, in response. So servants of God, uh, they were worshipping God and the, God sent angels to go and break, open the door and break chains. Uh, we could entertain them without knowing. Uh, they appear in visions, uh, speak, make predictions and are holy. Uh, we'll be at the judgment, but we are given to a place of authority where we will even judge angels, it says. So looking at this spiritual world uh, where there's realities that we don't see or, or maybe have never looked for and as a result have never seen, uh, what are the questions for us? I think one question is, where do I experience opposition in this world? Uh, where do I believe the lies of the enemy? Where am I tempted by the evil one, the, the world, uh, my own flesh, my own desires? And in the middle of that, who is my allegiance tied to? And if my allegiance is to God, how do I live that out really practically? Because as much as the cosmology is, uh, feels like we're, we're wrestling with big and high and lofty things, it's actually really practical. Who, who am I granting authority to to speak into my life? Is it, is it God? Is it people in the world? Is it uh, the, the evil one? Is it my own desires? So where, where is my allegiance lived out really practically? Uh, what is the truth? If the enemy works using lies to lead us from the truth, well, what is truly true? How do I understand it? What does God say is true about the world? How can I come to an, a place of alignment with what he said is truth uh, as truth is restored? When we look at a world like this, uh, we often try and solve problems here. But if the problems are caused by here, you, you can't solve first, second heaven problems with first heaven solutions. <laughs> and so why do we need spiritual gifts? Why do we need to have an understanding that there is a spiritual world? Well, God sometimes wants us to use those gifts to interact with what he is doing as he is sending angels, as he is empowering his people to live in this reality. So as we're praying heaven to earth, we're, we're confident that he's actually doing a work against the kingdom of, of the air and the evil one. 
uh, and any ground that he has gained. So, does this mean we, we worry uh, about evil and what evil is up to? Not at all, because actually evil sits under our feet. And Genesis pointed forward to how the, uh, the, the son of man, the, the, the sons and daughters of man will crush the, the serpent's head. We, we don't need to stress about evil, but we do need to be aware of evil. Uh, and in our awareness, we, we take in mind that it's actually we're, we're saved through faith, by grace, uh, and not our own doing, the gift of God, not the result of our works, so that no one can boast, for we are what he has made us, crafted in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And so our hope's not in us, our strength's not in us, our purpose is beyond us as we do what God has prepared for us to do and we seek to be who God has called us to be in life. And there's an enemy, we're aware, who will want us to not serve our purpose in this world. But actually, if God is for us, who can be against us? We need to be aware of an enemy, but not overcome or overwhelmed. Uh, so our hope's not found in becoming someone else. In Christ, we discover who we truly are, our, our true as form self and what we are actually called to do in the world, that God has made each of you unique and special and with purpose. And part of our job in life is to discover not how I can be like someone else, but how I can be truly me and live that out in, in a way that is free from the way that the enemy would try and stop me from achieving, so free from that opposition. Uh, so we're saved by grace, uh, we live by grace, we're prepared by grace to do what God has prepared for us. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, God, we thank you that in your, your love and your grace extended to us, that you uh, call us uh, to a place of uh, spiritual authority, uh, the, as you are seated in the heavenly places, you, you call us to sit with you. Uh, thank you, Lord, that that gives us confidence. But Lord, as we sit with you, help us, Lord, to not be unaware of spiritual realities. Uh, open the, the eyes of our heart to understand and see and know. Uh, Lord, as we experience opposition in this world, uh, teach us what is truly true. Uh, lead us in that path of freedom. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.